Revelation chapter 5. Very glad you're here tonight. Joey and I aren't salesmen. I read today that the art of sales is the art of getting people to buy what they know they don't need by telling them information that they know isn't true. And that is not what we plan to do tonight. I'd like to tell you about something that you may not know you need. And the way I'm going to do that is by giving you information that I know is true and that I can say is true because God is the one who is the source of the information. I'd like to read a chapter here in Revelation, uh, chap- in the book of Revelation, a few verses here in chapter number five. But before I do, I just have a few introductory comments. Uh, there's an old Hollywood director. He said this, the future ain't what it used to be. And that's kind of a quaint way of saying that there's a lot of different ways to think about the future. There's a lot of different ideas on what the future is. It's been impressed on me recently that there's a lot of talk about the future and specifically with respect to uh, things called fossil or something called fossil fuel and uh, carbon dioxide and I'm sure many other different things that I don't even know about and I couldn't explain to you, but different theories and ideas about how the world is going to end. I heard the other day the world's going to end in 10 years. I also read the other day that we're on the brink of mass extinction. Somebody wrote recently, in fact, scientists are saying that we're uh, coming upon and maybe we're right in the middle of the sixth greatest extinction or greatest mass extinction in all of human history. People speak about the end of the world and they're not religious. So when you hear about uh, you hear us speaking about the end of the world, well, we're not the only ones who speak about the end times, what's going to happen in the future. You don't need to be religious to think about the future. Many people have their theories. Many people have their ideas about what's going to happen. What I would like to tell you tonight is an authoritative, authoritative description of what will happen in the future. This isn't based on scientific theories. This isn't based on a vision that Joey and I saw earlier today as we came up to this hall and uh, we just kind of imagined it and we want to communicate it to you. This is directly from God. So as we read these verses, think about it in this way. This is a vision. This is a description of what is going to happen on a future day. And what we get, the privilege we get in this chapter is this. We get to see a picture of a group of Christians, and we get to see why they're in heaven. We get to see how they got to heaven, and we get to see who it was that allowed them or provided for them to get into heaven. So let's read this. I'll try to read it carefully, and I'd like to explain parts of it as we go along. Revelation chapter 5, verse number 1. And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth 
neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much. Because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book. Neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us. Unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. We'll ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. This book was written by a man named John, and John received a vision from the Lord 2,000 years ago. He received this sight of this great throne room. And this is the second part of the book of Revelation. In the beginning, John writes a book and he's writing about these seven different churches. And he talks about their different conditions and things that are good, but things that need to change. But there's a break in the book right around chapter number four at the beginning. He says, after this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And then he heard a voice and he saw a great vision. And we go from a section of the book where he speaks about churches and he talks about what they need to change. Now he is looking into heaven. And now as he looks into heaven, he sees this amazing sight. He sees the throne of God and he sees 24 other thrones and 24 elders that are sat on those thrones. And he sees not only thrones, but he sees stones. He sees that this throne is like jasper and sardis and a rainbow like an emerald. And he can see that there are, there are living creatures around the throne. And he can see the, the elders and he can see the man who has sat on the throne. And later on he says, I see this crystal sea. And then he says, as he's standing there and looking at this amazing scene, four living creatures... 24 elders, the man who is sat on the throne, God himself. And then he says, I see a slain lamb, a lamb that was just killed. It's an amazing scene, isn't it? Not something you see every single day. At least I hope you're not seeing these kind of visions every single day. But this is an amazing scene that we see here. Because John was given a a picture of the future of a future day. These people here, 24 elders, who were these men? They were men that would represent believers on a future day. And when he sees these 24 elders, he sees these 
Christians on a future day, what he is seeing is this. He is seeing people who are worshiping God. But then he gets a little more specific. And he says, what I saw in that great scene was I saw a scroll. It was was a piece of paper for all intents and purposes. For us here in 2019, he saw a piece of paper. But it was rolled and it had seven seals on it. And inside of this scroll, it would speak of God's plan for the future, even further on in the future than that. And then there's a cry that goes out. And this is the cry. Who's worthy to open the scroll? Who is worthy to open the scroll? And then the answer came back. Nobody in heaven, nobody under the earth, nobody on the earth, no, nobody anywhere. There was a search in vain through all humanity. Who is worthy to open this scroll, which tells us about more future plans that are yet to come? And nobody could come. Nobody could open the scroll. You know what? This is all just a picture. It's a picture. And it's a picture of this. That the Lord Jesus Christ, God's son, this man who we call Jesus, who many outside disparagingly call just Jesus without any other titles. Men who had spit on him and men who reject him today in 2019. This same man in the book of Revelation, we're going to see that he is the only one who was able to come and to open this scroll. You say, well, why was he able to come? Isn't he just a historical figure? Isn't he just a rabbi that came? Isn't he a man who maybe or maybe not lived 2,000 years ago? Wasn't he just some influential person? Wasn't he a guru? Wasn't he a self-help personality? Why could he go? Why could he open this book? Well, that's what they want you to understand. That's what people want you to, that's what people want you to think. You see, I was reading again today. There's a man named Richard Dawkins. You know what he says? He talks about this word called, he uses this word called memes. But what he says is this. He says, basically what we are, we're just a clump of DNA. And the only purpose that we have is to replicate or for our DNA to be copied and to replicate itself and to continue on throughout all of eternity. Well, I don't know if he would say eternity. And he says, that is the only purpose of man. That's it. There's nothing else. You're a clump of cells. You're a set of neurological reflexes. And that is it. I want to tell you a story that is much more hopeful than what you will hear outside of the scriptures. Not only is it hopeful, it's true. It's not just hopeful, it's actually true. That's why he speaks about this man. As he comes to this scroll, John says this, this is what I saw in the future. I saw this man who could come and he alone was worthy to open the scroll. Do you know why he was the only one who was able to do it? Because as the call went out, the search went out and he looked at each person. You could almost think of it this way. He looked at every single person in in this meeting tonight. And he could look at your life and he would look at mine. And he could see inside of the young children. And he could see inside of the oldest ones in the room, wherever they are. I won't won't dare point. He could see inside of every single person in this auditorium tonight. And he could see straight to the heart. And he could say this, not worthy. Not worthy. You know what he's saying? What he's saying that? Not worthy? He's saying this. Nobody can compare with 
God's son. There's no match. There is a great gulf. There's a great distinction, a grand difference. There's no way that you or I could compare to him. I want to impress on your mind tonight. This man is different. He's not like any other man. He's not just like you and I, though he came to the world, though he took an actual body, though he truly was flesh and blood. He was God's son. That man you hear about, Jesus, that historical figure, he was the actual, the literal, the eternal son of God. So as John is seeing this vision in the future and he's looking out to this great picture in the future, he sees one man. You know, John wept. It says, I wept much. Do you know why he wept? Because they couldn't find the man. I'm not going to ask you to cry in the meeting tonight. We talked about that on Sunday. Forced crying. But I hope that you would see in yourself tonight that you'd be able to examine your own life and you would be able to examine your own heart and see how much you fall short. John wept much. Do you know why? Because it looked like all was lost. It looked like the plan was over. It looked like, well, this scroll, it needs to be opened. We need to know. We need to see what's going to happen. And this man, no one can be found to open the scroll. He was crying. There were men at the time when Jesus was crucified. And they thought the same thing. Well, it looks like it's all all gone to pot. The whole plan. I thought he was going to save us and I thought he wasn't going to die and that we were just going to be with him and he was going to to save the world. And the world was going to be a better place and, and we were just going to live in peace and harmony. But then he died. Oh, but you have to wait. They waited and they saw he rose again. Wait, as you see further down in the chapter, you want to say to John, just wait, John, it's coming. And then he says, one of the one of the elders said to him, don't cry, don't cry, John. Do you know why you shouldn't cry? The reason you shouldn't cry is this, because the root of David, the lion of Judah, he has prevailed. Another version says this, he has conquered. And for that reason, he can open the scroll. It's a way of saying this. The reason why the Lord Jesus, another reason why the Lord Jesus is distinct and he's different and he's special and he's above all others and he's unique. The reason why is this? Because he conquered sin and death he conquered sin and death men have been trying to do this and i'm sure there's someone in the crowd tonight and you're trying to do this yourself you try to hide your sin you try to tuck it away you try to cover it up you don't think about it you try to ignore it Or maybe even you will go and you will, through school or through maybe some sort of philosophy, or maybe through your own intellect, you try and do something about your sin. You know what we most often do? We don't deal with it. It's impossible too. But most often we suppress our sin. We suppress our sin. We suppress it in our minds. And we suppress it in our bodies. That doesn't deal with the sin. It's still there. That doesn't deal with the problem. It's still inside your body. It's still inside your mind. You know, one of the things, it really struck me. When I was younger, when I I would think about my sin and I would think, well, there's things I could do. I could try to stop. I could try to stop sinning. And I could try to stop doing these acts. And I could try to stop doing these different things in my life. But you know what I could never change? I could never change my thoughts. I could never change my thoughts. You can change your actions. 
you can stop doing something. You know, there's a man who's very famous right now. His name's Jordan Peterson. He has a book. It's called 12 Rules for Life. You know, those rules are very helpful. Very helpful. And I want to tell you something. There's men in the bookstores, and you can go and get their books, and there are other self-help guru-type people, and they can give you different rules for life, probably 12 more. In fact, he's coming out with another book, 12 More Rules for Life. You know what? Those rules can help. They can help. They can help keep it at bay. They can help suppress. They can help you get through life without doing something like committing suicide or some atrocity like that. They can help you, but they do not deal with your sin. It says here he conquered. He prevailed against sin. When the, Christ, when the Lord Jesus, when that man, Jesus, when he died at Calvary, you know what he was doing? He was literally, actually, totally, finally, completely dealing with sin. He finished it. John 19 and 30, it says this. It is finished. He conquered by going through death. He conquered death. Little two-line poem, very dear to me. And it says this, by being made sin, he sin or through, by dying, death, he slew. Only one man can do that. Only one man can do that. Only one man can be made sin and through that, deal with sin and take it away. Only one man can go into death and through that, take death away. The Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why he, in this scene, was worthy to open the scroll. But it says more about him. He was worthy. He conquered. I really want to get to these special words. I have just a few minutes left. Look down. I want you to see the verse. These are the verses, the words that I really had in mind. I'm going to skip a few details. Look at verse number nine. It says, as he took the book, the men said that he was worthy. So he takes the scroll. And he takes the scroll and... And they say this, when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, a new song. Remember what's happening here. This is the future. These are Christians in a future scene on a future day. And they're looking at the lamb and they begin to sing a song. Listen to the lyrics. I love music. And sometimes I have to stop myself from listening to music because the lyrics get stuck in my head. Turn on the radio, a song comes on. Oh, that's a nice beat. And then the lyrics start, and I think, those are horrible lyrics. And you listen a little bit longer, and you think, I don't want those lyrics in my head. I I remember them. I still remember lyrics from when I was a little child that I don't want to remember anymore. Stick these in your mind. They're worth remembering forever. Listen to the lyrics. It says this. They sung a new song saying, first line, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof for thou wast slain and hast hast redeemed us to God by thy blood by thy blood they're singing this song in worship to this man remember the scene you see the Lord God himself on the throne you see 24 elders on 24 thrones you see four living creatures with different faces you see a rainbow you see thunderings and voices and lightnings it's a majestic scene and in the middle on that great crystal sea there's that slain lamb and he's standing he's standing it's a picture it's a picture and it's saying this even though he died he's standing Because he's alive today. And these men, as they look at him, they say, You are worthy. 
You're the one who died. These are Christians saying this. And they're thinking about their own experience. You're the one who died for me. And it was by your blood that I was redeemed to God. And you hear the joy in their voices. And you can see exactly why they were saved. You can see who it was that brought them there. You can see how it was that they arrived there. I was talking to a man today. Joey and I were talking to a man today. We asked him if he was saved. I hope he comes. I won't say too much. You know what he said? He said, yeah, I'm going to be there. I think everything's all right. The man upstairs, something to that effect. And I said, so you think you're going, you're going to be there? Yeah. Why, why will you be there? Well, I'm a good person. I help people a lot. He said that. I help people a lot. So therefore, I know I'm going to be with God in heaven. Think of this. Just as I'm closing, think of this. This is a group of people who we know. They are right with God. They had a proper relationship with God. They are with God in this future scene. Why are they there? Why are they there? They are not there. It doesn't say, worthy art thou, because you looked at my good works. Oh, Lamb of God, you're worthy because you saw me and how good I am. Oh, Lamb of God, you are worthy because I was a good kid growing up and I didn't do too many bad things. You're so worthy because I'm so good. That's not what it says. It says you're worthy. Why? For this reason, because you died. And it was your blood that dealt with my sin. And for that reason and that reason alone. I'm with you, and I will be with you for all eternity. That's a future scene. That's going to happen. That's in the future. It's speaking about a future day when Christians will be there before the Lord, worshiping him for what he has done. I just want to close with this. Are you going to be there? Are you going to be there? I know I'm going to be there. Oh, pompous preacher. Who do you think you are? No, no, nine years old. Nine years old. Nothing to offer God. I accepted his word. He said it. That settled it. And I believed it. It was his blood. It took care of my sin. I knew. I didn't know too much. But I know this today. There's nothing I could have done to take care of my sin. But he did everything. And I trusted him. And I will be there. Will you be there? The day is coming. He is coming soon. The end of all things is at hand. Peter tells us. It is coming soon. The question stands. Are you going to be there? It won't be because of your sins. It won't be because of your works. If you're there, it will be because you trusted you put your faith on the one who died, was slain, was slaughtered, who shed his blood, and because he did it for you. Trust him, and tonight you will be saved.